I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with the reading of the Scriptures in verse 26, and I want to invite you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your world, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father God, Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, we just thank you for every good and every wonderful spiritual blessing which you've lavishly bestowed upon us, dear Lord through your Son, Christ Jesus, whom you have sent to suffer under your wrath, to, to, to live a life of, of obedience and to do all these things so as to secure our forgiveness, to secure our redemption. Father, you have sent your Holy Spirit to take the work of Christ on the cross and apply that truth to the lives of individuals who are here tonight and the lives of people who are listening to this broadcast online. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for that. Father, I just want to pray that the same Spirit who has regenerated many alive today will take these words of Scripture and He will illuminate them, and that He will uh, make them known to us, make the truth of these things known to us, that He would apply this uh, biblical truth to our hearts and to the hearts of many who are listening today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Our Heavenly Father has shown His love for us in many ways, and for that we should all wish to glorify His majesty and His holy name tonight as we worship. And, and, and trust me, there are many, many ways that He has shown us His love. For every single day that I, a redeemed sinner, live this life, that in and of itself is an extension of God's undeserved mercy. For like the child who is dependent, sucking upon his 
mother's breast and without which would be famished and, and would perish, so too is the child of God dependent upon a continual supply of God's goodness and His grace, which it pleases Him to extend to His spiritual children who have been born not of their own wills or righteousness, but have been brought forth by the power of the Holy Spirit and raised unto spiritual life, begotten to a living hope. Now, of the many precious and and good gifts which our Father has given us, the Father of lights, of those gifts, one of the most precious, one that we hold very dear in this fellowship is His Word. He has given us His Word, and He does not do so for any other reason than that it pleases Him to condescend to our level and to communicate with us. His Word provides spiritual strength and encouragement. His Word provides instruction, guidance, and even reproof and correction. His Word makes known to our hearts and minds the glorious gospel of Christ and the divine wonders of of theological knowledge. One of the ways in which His Word assists us as we live our Christian lives is that we have many examples of His saints down through the ages whom we can read about and whom we can learn from. At times, these holy saints give us an example or, or a model for how we ought to conduct ourselves and how we ought to live. At other times, we get to learn from the mistakes and even the heinous and grievous sins that these people have made. For the testimony of Scripture is that all men have transgressed and broken the law and fallen short of God's glory, that is, save one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect fulfillment of the law, whose active and passive obedience to God make it possible for the most vile murderer and the most promiscuous harlot to find grace and reconciliation by means of his vicarious death on the cross where he took the wrath of the Father upon himself, which is the perfect and sufficient sacrifice for all sinners who believe upon his name. Now, given that today is Mother's Day, I have chosen my text for tonight with that in mind, but I want to make it very clear that the truths which I will be expounding upon tonight, not only apply to mothers, but these are things which apply to all believers. Sometimes the church can, on a day like this, overemphasize one particular group of people and can give the impression that the Christian life is only for mothers or it's only for married people, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, usually... What happens is on Mother's Day, the pastor gets up and he preaches a sermon about just how hard it is to be a mother and just, just how wonderful mothers are and all these different things. A couple weeks go by and, and it's Father's Day, you guys need to do better. That's the, typically what we hear from our uh, pulpits in, in America. But you know, you know that type of thing, just overemphasizing on one group can uh, lead to discouragement for sheep who simply need their shepherds to feed them with timeless and biblical gospel truth. You see, the things that I will be saying tonight, and, and really the passage that I will be preaching from is one you usually hear around Christmas time, but the truths which 
by God's grace and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I hope to make clear to you are going to be true today. They're also going to be true 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, if our Lord should tarry and, and on any given day. And I also, and, and, and I would just assume that uh, Christians would agree with this, I think it's absolutely crucial that our worship which includes our preaching, because preaching is worship, that our worship remains exclusively on the triune God of Scripture. And so with that being said, I should like to open up God's Word with you tonight for the very purposes of which I have already mentioned. God has given us His Word so that it would be a means of grace to us, and I trust that it would be beneficial and Edifying for us all tonight, if having opened up his word, we go and we look at a most godly and yet imperfect saint for the purpose of our edification, for the purpose of our instruction and spiritual enrichment. Tonight, I, I want us to learn from the most well-known mother who has ever given birth, and that being the mother of our Lord, the Virgin Mary. Now, the specific passage we are going to be looking at tonight is found in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, he gives us this rich, detailed account of when it was made known to Mary by God's grace, the important role that she would play in redemptive history. And as previously mentioned, not only is the historical, uh, theological content of this passage relevant to all believers, but so too is the way in which the virgin responds, the way that she conducts herself um, with regards to God's communication to her. Uh, So too is that relevant to all believers. And so that being said, let us lay worldly thoughts and ambitions to the side and let us focus with our whole beings our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength upon the Word of God, which is Theonustos, God-breathed and profitable for every good work. And my sincere prayer is that the same God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, would for our benefit illuminate the truth thereof to us tonight, that we may walk out of this building being refreshed spiritually and with a desire to passionately live for the glory of God. Verse 26, we read, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now the first and most obvious thing that you're going to pick up on is the fact that God has chosen to use the means of an angel named Gabriel to speak to the Virgin Mary and announce to her the favor which God would bestow upon her. But... Notice this. It says that the angel uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, as you may know, Nazareth is not a town that in the ancient world is truly of any high esteem, and yet God chooses to send his angel here. Uh, Let us contemplate the wisdom of God, which proves proves foolish the wisdom of man in this action. For God did not choose to do his mighty work in a a noble or in a wealthy city, not one that was lauded and praised by man, but he chooses 
to glorify himself by raising up that which is lowly in the world's sight, a virgin from Nazareth, to a more noble purpose than she could have ever dreamed of achieving herself, and that he might put his favor upon her. And I should just like to make this small point of application. Don't think that just because uh, you're not a person who is from a a, you know, wealthy family or a big city or something like that, that you are not a person who is uh, going to be useful or valuable to the kingdom of God. It, it, it's, it's very often that God chooses to use those who are not highly esteemed in the world's favor to do His work. Well, verse 27, we read the angel goes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, it's important to recognize two things here. One, Joseph is of the house of David. Why is that important? Well, in the Old Testament, God establishes a covenant with a man named David, and he establishes with him a kingdom, uh, a kingdom specifically that would last uh, forever. And God promises to David that his offspring, who would sit on his throne to, of his kingdom, that there will be no end. We have numerous prophecies in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, about the coming Davidic king, and Israel's Messiah would come from the line of David. And interestingly enough, one such prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 7, which includes the notion of a virgin giving birth. And of course, in this passage of Scripture, we are seeing that fulfilled today. The second thing I want to emphasize is the fact that twice now in this passage, the fact that Mary is a virgin is referenced. And the fact that Mary is a virgin at this point in time, though contrary to Roman Catholic teaching, it's quite obvious from Scripture that she did not perpetually remain a virgin forever, uh, given that she had other children. Uh, But she is a virgin when the angel comes to her. And, And this is incredibly relevant to us because, and of course you know the story, God is going to work a miracle through this woman. Now there are many people today, people in what calls itself Christian scholarship that would deny this miracle, but as we will see, to deny this miracle, to deny the truth thereof, will bring disastrous consequences upon you. So continuing to read verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now you have to try and imagine, you have to think about just what an incredible experience this is for her. Now we have to recognize this, this is a young woman. Uh, it, it would be nothing more than conjecture to try and you know, guess at her specific age, but it, it's, it's very possible, uh, very likely actually, that she's only a, a teenager at this time. Women in ancient times were married at what today we would consider to be a young age, and obviously Mary is you know, only engaged or she is betrothed uh, to Joseph at this point. She's still a virgin. That's been mentioned twice by now. So she's a young woman. She's a young woman, and here she is greeted by an angel who says, 
Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And as we see in verse 29, she, she's, she's troubled by this. She doesn't know quite what to make of it. She doesn't know how she's going to respond. Uh, the text says that she, quote, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, it's clearly, it's a jaw-dropping experience that, that stops her dead in her tracks, and, and one can only imagine the feeling. Now, as is obvious to everybody in this room, everyone who's listening, it's not a common experience to be visited by angels. Uh, when something like this happens, you immediately know something out of the ordinary is happening. Something significant is taking place. Something life-changing is going to happen. And that's what this young woman is experiencing. The angel greets her as, oh, favored one. Now, it's important to recognize, especially in light of how Roman Catholics will use this passage, really any passage that even hints at mentioning Mary, they will use this passage in order to exalt Mary at what is an idolatrous level. Uh, You read the original language here. In, In the Greek, the term that is used there in reference to Mary being the favored one, is saying that Mary is a recipient, that she receives God's favor or God's grace, not that she has earned this favor, that she even deserves this favor. I point this out because without that understanding, I believe that much of the beauty of this passage will be lost. We need to understand Mary as she is as a woman with flaws, as a woman with imperfections. Well, uh, to continue reading, in verse 30 we see, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now to adequately and properly explain to you the significance of all these words spoken to Mary by the angel Gabriel would require far more time than we have tonight uh, given that Entire books have been written about these things, and as previously mentioned, there's some specific things that I want to get to, uh, hopefully for your blessing. But uh, the, the quintessence, okay, the most central aspect of what the angel Gabriel is telling the Virgin Mary is that as a result of God's unmerited favor, which she has received, she will conceive in her womb and bear a son. Now, the virgin, remember, it's been mentioned twice now that she's a virgin, will bear a son. Okay, the virgin will bear a son, and and not just any son, but the angel says that this son will be great, that he will be called son of the Most High. Now, who in Mary's first century Jewish mind and thinking would be the Most High? Well, Yahweh, 
the, the Lord Jehovah, the God of Israel. Mary would understand the Most High to be God. And, and this is an angel sent of God, and he is here telling her that. And remember, I stress this because it's important, she is a virgin, and that she will bear a son. And that her son would be the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. The Son of God. And Gabriel adds that her child would be given by the Lord God the throne of his father David. And as I mentioned earlier, remember, this is something that we have prophecies all throughout the latter half of the Old Testament uh, concerning that there is going to be a coming king, a Davidic king of the line of, of David, and he is going to fulfill this covenant that's made with David, and that he would reign forever, that of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, and all of this is incredible, and, and the word incredible is really an insufficient word. Uh, this is it's amazing. This is awe-inspiring. This is earth-shattering. This is life-changing. This is world history-altering. This is fantastic news. Mary's been given. I, I mean, truly, truly, this is stuff of biblical proportions here. And what is the young virgin to name her son? Jesus. And as Matthew writes in his gospel, he is to be named Jesus for, quote, he will save his people from their sins. Now let's look at Mary's response here. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now at this point, many of the commentaries want to run as fast as they can to defend Mary at this point and, and you know, resolve her of, of any blemish. Uh, but in order for us to truly see what's going on here, as I've mentioned, we must recognize Mary as, as an imperfect woman. The proper response would have been perfect, confident faith immediately. Okay, Mary, she should have instantly recognized that this message was a message of God and thus wholeheartedly embraced it. But how often do you and I do that? How often do you and I do that? How often do we trust God in impossible situations? Now, I grant that none of us have ever been in the position of being a young virgin who was told by an angel that she would give birth to the Son of God. I, I, I realize that. But even in, in, in simple situations, we doubt God. We don't trust Him. Now, to explain this to you, God has spoken to us through His Word. That word, uh, uh, God-breathed, that we find in 2 Timothy 3.16, Theonoustos, it refers to, I mean, put your hand in front of your mouth and, and you feel the, the breath that's coming out. That's what Scripture is, but it's God speaking. And what Peter says in his second epistle is that what we have in the Scriptures is a, quote, prophetic word more fully confirmed. And in the context, sort of what Peter's arguing is, is meaning that the Scriptures are more trustworthy than if even a prophet, an apostle, or an angel themselves were to come to you. 
And in these more fully confirmed scriptures, the, quote, more sure word, the Lord God omnipotent has promised that he will, for instance, work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, he promises that. He promises us that in the prophetic word more fully confirmed, the the absolute authoritative revelation that God has given to his church and to his people, the scriptures. He tells you that. He says that if you are of the called to his purpose, if you are one who loves God, that all things are working for your good. And yet we don't believe that, do we? We don't, we, we don't trust that. We, we doubt. We get discouraged. We say, no, it can never be. How can my present troubles ever be for my good? How can what's going on with my family, with, with my work, with the, this, with my that, how, how can this be for my good? How can the death of a loved one be for my good? How can a sickness be for my good? How can poverty be for my good? And all these different things. But yet the Scripture says many are the afflictions of the righteous. And, and, and when these afflictions come, the way that we respond is often sinful. We become discontent and angry with God. I, I shared this quote in Sunday school this morning uh, from a Puritan by the name of Tom, Thomas Watson who said, you know, there's a difference between complaining of God and complaining to God. And how often do we do the former? You know, we, we, we say things like, Lord, I, I don't deserve this. And, and I don't know, you know, what, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to get out of this. We must never say that. Firstly, and this is probably one we all need to be told more than we are. Firstly, you've sinned against God and you deserve way worse than whatever it is that you're going through. Secondly, I have to ask you the question, are you a child of God? Has God redeemed you? Have you been called according to His purpose? Do you love God? Then rest. Then rest in His grace, dear child. Your Father promises that He is currently working all things for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. So you see, even His discipline, even your afflictions are for your good. He promises us this in Scripture, the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We doubt him. We doubt him. Well, here Mary is face to face with an angel himself, and her immediate response is to doubt. Do we not all see ourselves in this poor virgin's actions here? Yet even though her faith is is imperfect here, she ought to still be commended for the little faith that she does have. For she does not outright say that God could not do this thing. She is merely perplexed at how he will bring it about. And as we will see in the next verse, how graciously the angel responds to her, you can take this to heart, that God will still be pleased to recognize even a small amount of faith in his children. The scripture says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. The Scripture makes no mention of how much faith or how little faith Abraham had. It does not say that because Abraham believed hard enough or or strongly enough that it was counted 
is righteousness, nor does it say that you know, if Abraham had believed less, then it would not have been counted as righteousness. The testimony of Scripture is plain and irrefutable that Abraham simply believed, that he believed, and it was counted as righteousness. The issue is not the degree of faith, how much faith you have. The issue is the presence of faith, the reality of faith, whether you have it at all, whether it has manifested itself inside of you as a gift of God. And so Mary, though she has her doubts, though her faith is not what we should want it to be, though she remains an imperfect and sinful woman, God will still recognize the slightest and smallest modicum of faith which she possesses in her bosom, which she possesses in her heart. She asks, how will this be? Since I am a virgin, in the original language, since I do not know a man, her astonishment and her disbelief is grounded in the very fact of how miraculous this thing being told to her truly is. She is a virgin. She has never known a man in that sense. How could it be that she is going to bring forth a child? Verse 35, And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, in the angel's response, he explains to her that the conception of her child would be wrought upon by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a miraculous work of God. It's a, it's a mystery far beyond our own understanding. It, it would be absolutely useless for us to speculate as to the nature of this miracle. Our responsibility is to just sit in awe at it and, secondly, to believe it. The angel says, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, it's very important. It's very important that we recognize that this child, Jesus, will be called Holy. As one preacher said, man's biggest problem is that God is good and we're not. And, and, and I've talked about this before, but sometimes when we hear certain things over and over again, they can just become noise to us. And so we hear people say things like, you know, God is good, or God is holy, God is righteous and, and just, and, and these different things. And sometimes we, we, we just hear a certain truth so much Due to our own besetting sin and depravity and weakness, even the most glorious wonders of heaven can become stale to us over time. And we need to, to guard against that. And we need to pray for God's grace. But what happens is, is we hear things like, God is holy. Or we read here in the Scriptures, the child who is God to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And it just seems like, Christianese. It just seems like church language. It just seems so ordinary. It just seems so bland. And it's like, 
just typical religious talk. And then it just becomes mere words and, and syllables to us. We need to recognize how frightening it is to truly consider God is holy. Now, if you truly understood what it meant that God Almighty, the judge of the earth, is holy, 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 you would be so frightened right now that you would be hiding under the pews looking for shelter and cover, although you would remain trembling in your heart because you knew there was nothing you could do to shield your wicked and disgustingly sinful flesh from the righteous wrath of a holy God. And you would know that you deserve nothing more than to drink the cup of that wrath in full. And so we read here that Mary's child is to be called holy. Now that tells us two things. One, it's another indication of Christ's deity. Uh, for God alone is holy by nature. But it also tells us this, that God, who is holy, 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 is taken on flesh. He's taken on human flesh. This poor virgin Mary here is going to conceive in her womb and she is going to carry the Lord for nine months and bring Him into this world. Now, why does that matter? Like, why is that significant? Why is that something I should spend time listening to preaching about and learn? Well, the reason that it's important that Christ, the Son of God, would take on human flesh is so that He can live in perfect obedience to the law of God and march to Calvary's cross and in His suffering experience the wrath, the full and total, unrestrained wrath of God Almighty, the wrath of His Father poured out upon Him on behalf of all the sins of the elect. And having redeemed a sinful and wicked people, He who is holy can then by His grace redeem them, save them, give them forgiveness of sins, and make them holy as well. And so I just, just want to ask this question. Do you believe that holy God, Jesus Christ, has died for you? If you answered yes to that, I have some follow-up questions. This first one is, is He making you holy? Is He making you holy? Is He helping you guard against your temptation? Is He helping you wage war against your flesh? Now, if you answered no to those last three questions, I want you to ponder once again the first question. As, as, as Brother John and I were ha having a discussion this evening, the, the Scripture does not teach perfection, does not teach sinless perfection. That a, a believer, no matter how godly they are, is ever without lusts or, or, or different uh, sins remaining in their flesh. That's not what I'm saying here. But... I think it was J.C. Ryle, he said something to the effect of, you know, you know a true believer when there's warfare, when there is warfare against the flesh. For the grace of God that saved you from your sin will not leave you in your sins. And, and the true Christian, the, 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 the person who has true grace has been changed 
by God's regenerating power and now hates their sin. And, 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 it, and it breaks their heart to grieve that spirit who has begotten them. Well, the angel here is telling Mary that this, this most glorious, this most wonderful mystery that she, as a virgin, having been a recipient of God's undeserved and unmerited grace, is going to carry the Son of God in her womb. And it is that very action right there that allows sinners to have mercy, to have reconciliation with the Holy God. We've recognized Mary herself is a sinful and imperfect woman. She's a fallen child of Adam. Well, how is it that Mary can receive God's favor, be called one who has found favor with God? It's through the son that she bore. It is through the Lamb of God. It is through Christ that a, a sinner like her, a sinner like myself, can find reconciliation with Holy God. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The angel then in verse 36 tells Mary about uh, what happened with her relative Elizabeth, who was given a child in her old age, when she was believed to be barren. Uh, now, that's in and of itself is a miracle. It's a less jaw-dropping miracle than what Mary receives, I grant you, but nevertheless, it's an amazing work of God. And so Gabriel tells this to Mary as, as proof of God's power. Like I said, Mary's faith was, was weak at the start, but God is so loving, God is so merciful that He graciously comforts her and encourages her here. And the angel says this to Mary. He says, for nothing... For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, th that's like a statement that doesn't need to be said. Uh, if God is God, well, then it logically follows that God will do as God pleases. He is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He says through the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Now that is a statement that only God can make. My, I have an uncle who often uh, uh, makes the joke, or you know, a little one-liner. He says, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Now, God is the only being who can have his counsel, have his plans, and be sure that they will be brought to fruition. It's not true of me. I, I can tell you that's not true of me just based my, off my own experience. But because of his love for Mary here, he sends his angel to speak these sweet and encouraging words into her ears, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, the angel has just increased the, the gravity, the intensity of what God is going to do with her. So how does this poor virgin from Nazareth respond? Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a shining and wonderful example of how it is that godly saints ought to respond to God's will and calling upon their lives. 
Mary said these words. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, if we could just model the example that Mary gives us here, oh, how much better things would be. You know, Mary understood something important, and it's something that most people who call themselves Christians do not understand, and even if they do, they do not like it, and that is because most evangelicals have such a man-centered theology that we've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten that God is God. You say, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. How, you know, of course we know that God is, is God. It's, it's obvious. Well, you said it, so let me ask you this. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? It's like you say those words in an evangelical church and you have a red dot on your forehead, yet all I did was quote Scripture. You see, beloved, for God, if God is God, then He has the right to do with us as He wills. Personally, I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, God, is, God is so good. He, he is just so good. And He always does what is right. Of course He does. He is, God is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. And so it's, it's, it's so wonderful. It's so comforting to have the realization that God is God. And He has the right to do with me what He pleases. He is the potter and we are the clay. And we all ought to, and we all ought to cry out, Mold me. Mold me. Make me like your son. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that when we pray, we ought to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, God, I submit to you, you are the judge of all the earth. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the one who has created all things and, and declaring the end from the beginning. Dear Heavenly Father, accomplish your purposes. Do your will. Let your counsel stand. Do that which most pleases you, God. You see, that is the heart of the true Christian. That is the heart of a regenerate person. That, the, the, the natural man... The man who hates God, he hates that. He hates that God is God. He hates that God is sovereign and is accomplishing his purpose. He says it's unfair. He says it's unfair because the natural man thinks himself to be God and he doesn't want God to do his will because he wants his will to be done. And he cries out, oh, how unfair it is that God is God. And I just remember those words of, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 9, O oh man, who are you to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? You see, the natural man, he hears those words and he hisses. He is, is revolted at such a notion that God is the potter and He is the clay. 
Christian hears those words and he falls to the ground weeping. Weeping, saying, yes, Lord, yes. Do your will. But you see, the Christian life is not only acknowledging and believing and accepting the theological, doctrinal truth that God is God and thus He will accomplish His purposes. But once you embrace this doctrine, as we so often try to instruct you here, when you embrace this doctrine, it is not only to enter into your mind, but it is to find a steady resting place in your heart so that it would be applied in your life, that it would manifest itself in your life. And so the true Christian not only prays, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, asking for God to work out His decree, work out His plan, but when the Christian says those words, if, he, if, if words have any meaning, if they mean something to him, and he's not just repeating his pastor, when the Christian says those words, he's also praying that he or she would themselves do God's will in the sense of, obeying God's commands in Scripture in the sense of obeying God's calling upon their life. Mary, this virgin who has received God's favor, is, by God's grace, modeling all of these things in her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When she says, let it be to me according to your word, she, she's, she's passively saying that the, let the will of God be done. If it pleases God to by His Spirit put a child in my womb, that I would carry this child, I would nurse him at my breast, raise him up into adulthood, so that this child can go on in his life to serve the purposes of God's will, then oh, let it be done. Let it be to me according to your word. Then when she says the words, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, she's showing her submissiveness towards God. And she recognizes she is a mere creature whom God has created for His glory. And that she has no right to protest. And then she herself, having this realization, desires that she would be obedient to God's commands and to the calling that God has placed upon her life. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, how I just wish that we could all say those words and not merely say them, but mean them as well. This woman, this Virgin Mary, has been told groundbreaking and incredible news that is going to radically change her life. You need to remember something. This girl is nothing special in the world's eyes. Nothing special in the world's eyes. She lived in an insignificant town in the Middle East uh, called Nazareth. Now, metaphorically speaking, uh, Nazareth was not even on the map, okay, in this day and age. Outside of the New Testament, when you start reading uh, other ancient literature from that time period, hardly ever mentioned hardly ever, almost not even mentioned once uh, prior to the birth of Christ. And even when the New Testament mentions Nazareth, you find people mocking it, uh, like Nathaniel, for instance. And, and so 
Nazareth is simply not a town that, that matters to people. It, it does not matter to people, and yet God chooses to do his work here. Now, you got to try and imagine this. I mean, Mary, she was a, a young woman, and, and she, had, she had plans for her life. I don't necessarily know what all those plans were, uh, but she made them. Uh, she was going to marry this carpenter named Joseph. Uh, they were going to you know, raise some kids together, and then she'd live a quiet life, and then she would die, and hopefully her children would pass on her legacy to, to their children and so on and so forth. But, you know, that, that was all she expected of herself. That was, that was her mindset, her thinking. That's the way she thought it was going to go. But God is God, and He will accomplish His purposes and he had a totally other purpose for this dear woman. So she's visited by this angel Gabriel, tells her these astonishing things, that she, a virgin, is going to bear a son, and her son will be the son of God, and he's going to have a, a kingdom that will last forever, and all these different things. And though she could not know what that would entail, as no one did other than Christ until after his resurrection, she had to have known at the very least that whatever plans she did have for her life were not changed. Um, no longer was she going to live the quiet life of a carpenter's wife. Things were changing. Uh, things were changing. She has received God's favor and mercy. God has placed a grand calling upon her life. What does she say? She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let us pray. Father God, Father, we come before you in the name of your Son. We come before you in the name of, of the one whom, who, who is carried along to fruition in this virgin's womb, dear God. Father, we just pray that he who is holy, we would just thank you that he who is holy was able to perfectly, actively, and passively be obedient to your law, that he was able to fulfill all of your commands and not, not just fulfill them to the letter, but fulfill them in the spirit of those commands. God, that's not something we can do. It's not something I can do, yet he did it. And he who, who, who is eternally in your bosom, who is daily your delights, he, he marches forth to the cross saying, not my will, but thine be done. And dear God, he suffers. He gives himself up. He gives his life over to suffer under your wrath, to suffer for many, many people, to die for them, to be a propitiation for them, dear God. And the promise of Scripture, whoever believes, whoever calls upon his name, they will be saved, that they will have eternal life. And, and he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. God, we thank you for that. We pray that this truth would inspire us to, to, to submit to your will, to be obedient to your commandments, to demonstrate the, the faith that Mary shows here in verse 38, dear God. We just ask that you would give us grace that you would fill us with the power of your Spirit in order to accomplish this. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And I just want to thank you all.
once again for being able to come out tonight. God bless.